Kings chapter number 5. Thank you, man, for that special. 2 Kings chapter number 5, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse number 1. Let's all stand to our feet, if we could please, this evening in honor of the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter number 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. One went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent name and my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Now we're going to skip down in the story of Naaman and his healing here. Let's look at verse number 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, they're speaking to Naaman, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Let's skip down, if you would please, and look at verse number 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me. Well, that's not true saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them up upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went nowhere. I didn't go anywhere. Verse 26, And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, 
And the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee. Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and oliveyards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence as a leper as white as snow. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please fill me with your Holy Spirit power. I pray that you would please anoint this service. I pray that you would endue me with power and give the people what only you can give. Lord, this is your service. These are your people. This is your church. I pray that you would do the work that you want to be done tonight. Guide my thoughts and my speech. Help me to say only the things that you would have me to say. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. We have within our churches and our homes a great disconnect at times that what it is doing, it is leaving our young people exposed to a leprosy that they should have otherwise been delivered from. Our parents that are here this evening have tried to work with their kids and lead them in a direction that would deliver them from the leprosy that the world deals with known as sin. Leprosy is a picture of sin in the Bible. Is everybody with me? This story is in some ways a picture of the work that God had called Elisha to do to deliver some from the disease of sin while unfortunately that same sin became attached to a young man who was under his influence as a preacher. We don't know much about Gehazi. We don't know exactly how he got into the life of the prophet. We know that the first time that he shows up is only a couple of chapters before this where the Bible says that he is helping Elisha with the Shunammite woman whose son is eventually raised from the dead. We see him appear again here in 2 Kings chapter number 5. The last time we see Gehazi is in 2 Kings chapter number 8 where I cannot tell personally if he is still connected with the prophet or not, but he is certainly speaking of him for two short verses or a few. Something happens to Gehazi here, now listen to me, that can and will happen maybe even to some young people in this room today. But not just to young people, maybe even some young adults or some old adults that some preacher or some parent or somebody along the way did their best to try to prevent you from the leprosy of sin and keep you out 
of the mess that they were delivered from and out of the mess that God used them to help deliver others in the church from or uh, others in their lives from, people that they led to the Lord or people that they preached to and did their best to help them be delivered through the power of God and through the power of His Word from the leprosy of sin. But some still, for whatever reason, go after still the things that the world goes after and find themselves uh, diseased with the same problems that they should have been delivered from. One reason why this seems to happen is revealed to us in this story. The young man, Gehazi, for whatever reason, did not get the heart of the man of God that had been put in his life. And we see that question asked in verse number 26. Elisha looks at Gehazi, and what's the question he asks him? And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? Are you with me? Now listen, listen, please listen to this preacher. We can express the rules and the laws and the guidelines of the Word of God just like Elisha had done here for this young man Gehazi. He made it very clear that his rule was, I am not taking any of your possessions or any of your rewards for what God has done. I have not done this. God has done this. I don't want any of your rewards. Give glory to God. Don't worry about giving it to me. So he stated his rule. He drew the line in the sand and said, this is where I stand. The glory doesn't go to me. It goes to God. Don't worry about it. I'm glad you've been healed. Let's give the glory to God and move on. But unfortunately, though the rule had been stated and though the line had been drawn in the sand, Gehazi crosses that line and it's not because he didn't understand the rule and it's not not because he didn't know what was said, because Gehazi has to concoct this story to convince himself and to be able to convince Naaman about why what he is doing is correct. He clearly comes up with a lie and then convinces Naaman that that lie is true. So we know Gehazi heard the rule because he had to lie about it. He didn't go to him and say, hey, 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 uh, weren't you going to give something to the prophet? It wasn't an innocent request. He had to lie because he knew already what the rule was. Is everybody okay? So the rule had been stated, the line had been drawn, but Gehazi still crossed it. And why is it that he crossed it? Well, the prophet pinpoints the problem very quickly. When Gehazi shows back up and he tries to start uh, redirecting and saying, oh, I didn't go anywhere. Hey, Gehazi, where you been, buddy? Oh, I, I didn't go anywhere. Any of you ever see it in your children when you ask them? I mean, you already know the answer and you ask them, so what you been doing? <laughs> You already know the answer. And they're, they're, they're squirming and they get a little bit red-faced and they react really quickly. Nothing. Or they kind of avert their eyes and they won't look at you. I haven't been doing anything. Gehazi says, oh, I didn't go anywhere. Well, the prophet doesn't argue with him. He just asks him one question. ever get my heart? Didn't you ever get my heart? He says, Gehazi, you knew what was right, but that's not what bothers me. 
if you had my heart, you wouldn't have crossed that line. Now, I want to preach to both segments of the church this evening, young and old. I want to preach about getting and giving your heart. Getting and giving your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray again that you would please do what only you can do. Lord, if this message is preached for just one young person or one older person, I'll gladly preach it. Lord, I pray that you would give the hearts of a generation of young people and give the hearts of a generation of parents and those who minister to each other. Help us to leave tonight, Lord, knowing that we've heard from you. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. I want to say something that is treading a very um, fine line. Let me start by saying this. This is not treading a fine line. I personally believe that there needs to be a balance between law and grace, between truth and grace, that there needs to be a balance between the commandments and the heart. And sometimes we have, in our churches and in our homes, expected to gain a generation of young people by just giving them rules to follow, but never getting their heart. And in some cases, we lost them. You will lose new Christians who have just come to Christ. If all you do after they get saved is say, okay, now you need to be tithing. All right, now you need to be dressing this way. All right, now you need to be acting this way. All right, now you need to stop cussing. All right, now you need to stop listening to that music. All right, now you need to start dressing better. If you don't dress right, you're not right with God. If, you, if all you do is give rules, they become grievous to people and they don't want to live them and you push them away. The first thing we have to do is teach people to love the Lord and give them their heart. Give Him their heart. Excuse me. We sometimes as Christians for some reason, especially as Baptists, are afraid to preach and teach about the heart because we're afraid that there's too much emotionalism in it. But y'all, you can't even get saved without the heart. <laughs> For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Hello? Your heart has to be involved in the religious practice from the very beginning. But unfortunately, we sometimes draw such a hard line on some things that we just expect if we throw the laws down that they'll abide by them as new Christians or as children in our homes or as kids in our Sunday school classes or in our junior churches or whatever the case may be as a leader in a certain ministry. And if we're not careful, if we don't try to get the heart of those who are following behind us in our home, in our Sunday school class, in our youth group, in our church, or whatever it is that God has given us the authority over and the ability to minister to. If we don't work to get the heart, we can give all the rules and preach all the verses and still lose them. 
Now, it seems clear to me that Elisha had tried to get the heart of one of his young men. And for whatever reason, that transition didn't take place. And I don't know, I, I don't know how this all worked out exactly, but Elisha seems a little surprised by it. Don't you think? So I, I, have to, I have to think that he probably thought he had it. Maybe not. I'm reading into that a little bit. But the way he words it, it's almost like, man, I have tried. What happened here? Elisha seems to know he needs to get the heart. And he didn't get it. Is everybody with me? trying to decide which direction to go here. I have a lot of notes. Young people, I am convinced that some of you will only go as far in the Christian life as you are willing to give your heart to the right people. And adults, I am convinced that it is our job to do everything we can to get their hearts. Man, the battle that is afoot for the hearts and minds of every Christian in this room is so real and is raging so hard that this is a battle worth fighting, but it is going to be a fight at times. And we have to know what kind of fight we are in. So... I'm going to give you as fast as I can a whole bunch of thoughts that I have on how to get the heart of those in your ministry, how to get the heart of those in your home, how to get the heart of those that God has placed you over to lead, maybe those, of, uh, those who work under you or whatever the case may be. But if you want to influence them and if you want, to if you want them to live the things that you know that they ought to live, I don't care if you are a grandparent or a parent or a boss or a Sunday school teacher or a junior church worker or a, Sunday or a, a bus worker or whoever it may be and whoever you may have under you, but I'm here to tell you that you have got to work on getting people's heart if you want them to truly follow the path that you have followed. Lord, where do I go from here? How to get their heart. You know, I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I had parents that cared to teach us the rules and the principles, but also were determined to get my heart. I'm thankful that I had parents who cared enough about me and about my future that they knew that there was something they had to do that was much greater and much more important than a career or than a big church or than giving their life to things that would eventually pass away, but rather to get the heart of their child and to put their effort into that. I'm thankful for the times that I spent riding in the car with my dad to and from the hunting places and to and from the archery places and, 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 and the times that I would see him give his heart and work on getting 
my heart. I'm thankful for a mother who still even texted me this morning and told me that she loved me and still to this day is working to keep the heart of her child. I'm thankful that I had parents and that I was able to be raised in a ministry where it was something that mattered. My dad's motto for his church for years was where the heart makes a difference. I want to give you as fast as I can, and you'll have to write as fast as you can, and some of you could add to this list, and this is not a complete list. Ways to get the heart. Number one, be genuine. Be genuine with people. And that means you have to break down walls and barriers and be willing to be yourself and not be so guarded that they can't ever see who you really are. You know, the truth is, unfortunately, uh, young people are a lot more observant than we like to give them credit, and they see a lot more than we realize that they do. They're not dummies. And so even if we try to keep walls and barriers up, they're still eventually going to find out who you are. But if you tried to hide it from them, they will believe that you are fake and two-faced, and you won't have their heart. Be genuine. Be yourself. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Hey, if God puts you over a ministry, be yourself. Hey, can I say this? I want a ministry full of people who can be themselves and not be afraid to be themselves. You know, within the boundaries and borders of God's Word, as long as we're all abiding by His principles, it doesn't matter if you have a different like or dislike than I do. You're not wrong. If you like red and I like blue, neither one of us is wrong. It's okay if we're different. I love the differences in people. And sometimes we don't embrace the differences of the people under us and as a result, they can't even grow in our tutelage or grow in our home because, well, they're not like that first child I had or they're not like that other student who's a really good one or they're not like that, that one church member that I had that one time or they're not like, hello? Let people be themselves. I want all of you to be yourself. And listen, can I say this is another message for another time. I'm getting way off on a rabbit trail here. But when I put somebody over in ministry, <clears throat> I'm not the kind of person that um, micromanages them. Because, I, because I, I, look, people will do things differently if they're over in ministry, but that doesn't make them wrong. And you know what? I think... I think if a church is only doing what I want it to do all of the time as far as all the different ministry areas, then it starts to lose some of its personality. Personally, I would prefer if I put, you know, Brother Andrew over something or if I put Brother Daniel over something or if I put Brother Phil over something or Brother Elisha over something. I want them to run it the way that God leads them to run it as long as they do it within the biblical parameters. If they're violating biblical principles, I won't stand for that. But Brother Elisha might do something with the choir that's totally different than I would do. And it's just his personality. I'm not talking about uh, singing the wrong kind of music. Remember, biblical parameters. But he might lead it and conduct it totally different than I would. And that doesn't make him wrong. It's just him. It's just him. That's okay. That's good. Brother Caleb is working with our teenagers right now. He's going to do things differently than I will. There might be some things I might come alongside of him and say, hey, uh, Brother Caleb, I'd like it done this way. And that's okay. I, I have the ability to do that, and he has the spirit to let me do that. He's always had the spirit to let me do that. But for the most part, when I give somebody something, I want him to be able to do it the way that his personality is because he's different than I am, and if I micromanage him, I'll lose his heart. And the truth is, he can't be himself enough to gain the heart of those around him. He needs to be genuine. 
Don't criticize him if he does things different than I do. That's him. This is me. We're not the same person. That's okay. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I just Be genuine. You want to get the heart of somebody? Be genuine. Be yourself. I can't be any other preacher. I can't be my father. Even as a father, I can't be my father, although I find myself saying things he says more and more all the time. And in that, how does that work? Like, I have been around him less in the last 12 to 15 years, and I'm sounding more and more like him than when I was living in his house. How does that happen? Be genuine. Second, be vulnerable. You want to get the heart of somebody? Be vulnerable. Open up to them. Share your mistakes. Don't be afraid to talk about your mistakes. Now, you don't want to open up that can of worms on everything you've done. You have to use some wisdom and some discernment. But you know what will get the heart of a young person? If you're so real that you can sit down with them and say, you know what, man, this one time I did this, this, and this, and it was the wrong thing to do. And they see some tears in your eyes and some genuineness, and, and, and you're able to be vulnerable with them. Or if you're able to go to somebody that you were trying to minister to and you messed up and made a mistake, and instead of trying to cover it up full of pride and saying, well, I didn't do anything that's really worth apologizing for, you go to them and say, you know what, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Be vulnerable. You'll get the heart of people. I've got I to move on. Have open communication. Constantly be talking. Families, be talking with each other. Oh, please listen to me. These things are not bad only just because... Try to make sure the screen's off. Um, no, I don't want to pay with Apple Pay. Um, the, these things are bad for more than just Facebook and, and, and things that you can see. They're bad also because they have entirely disconnected our families from each other. And, and, and we can be sitting in the same room around a holiday time when families used to talk and have fun and play games and find things to talk about and find people to talk, I mean, find things to talk about and, and enjoy each other and nobody's enjoying each other anymore. You've got eight people sitting in a room and every so often you just hear a grunt from somebody or, hey, did you see this? Here, let me send it to you. And we are totally losing connection with our families and therefore losing the heart of our children while they're sitting in the room and we're trying to spend time with each other. They're giving their heart to some stranger on the Internet or they're giving their heart to some app on the Internet and we're losing them because we're not communicating anymore. Hey, families, can I encourage you to do something? I'm dead serious about this. I have a cell phone. Sometimes I spend too much time on it, just like the average person can. I'm not saying I'm immune from this, but can I encourage you to do something? When you're spending time with people, spend time with people and put the phone down. Put the phone down. Now, don't get mad at me about this, but when I'm with people, I don't look at my phone. Best I can, I try not to look at my phone. And that means that sometimes I'll go two, three, four, five hours before I see a text that you sent me. Don't get mad at me for that. If I'm with you, I will show you the same loyalty. Amen. What did we do in the 80s and 90s? If you called the house and they weren't home, you waited. And we all survived. Isn't that unbelievable how that happens? Yeah. Well, you mean we all survived when we couldn't talk to everybody and he'd get back responses from them instantly? 
well, they must not love me. They didn't respond in 30 seconds. No! No! Y'all should have lived 30 years ago! Remember answering machines? It would take days sometimes to hear back from somebody. Well, I just got through all my messages. You just got through them five days later? Somehow we survived it. Put down the phones and communicate with each other. Talk. We need to get back to talking again. I, got, I said I was going to hurry. I got to hurry. Be understanding and caring when they express their problems, their mistakes, or confess something to you. If they're trying to hide something and it gets revealed and you find it out, different animal. But if they come to you with a genuine heart and they've been under conviction or whatever it is or just afraid to get found out, whatever it is, if they come to you genuinely and confess something or ask for forgiveness or whatever, don't rake them over the coals. They have revealed to you that they want to get it right and that means that whatever needs to be done is already working in them. Give them some room. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be discipline. It just depends on the infraction. But I believe there should be a lot more grace when somebody comes to you and confesses something than when they don't. That's the same way God deals with us. If we come to Him and we don't try to cover it up, whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have or find what? Mercy. Hello? But you try to cover it up, and it's kind of a different animal. Right? Don't bash them all the time. If they've shown the initiative to talk to you about it, they've already demonstrated their desire to fix it. Teach them if it's needed. But don't discipline the same as if you would have if they had been found out without bringing it to you. Are you with me? Show some grace. Next, give them time. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. If you want to get the heart of somebody... Um, especially children, children, spell love, T-I-M-E. Give them time. And give them quality time. Don't give them, yeah, 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 let's go do that. All right, yeah, let's go do that. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you. Yeah, yeah. That's not quality time. Give them time. Spend time with them. Be active with them. Um, next, show interest in them and the things that they're interested in. By the way, this is, this is good for more than just kids. This is good for areas of leadership, areas of ministry. This, this is good for everything. If you want to get the heart of somebody, show interest in them and the things that they're interested in. Next, give them your love if you expect to get love back. Show them that you care. How many of you have heard the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? Right? Next, treat them with loving authority when they're younger. Because those young people, especially when they're little, sometimes need a parent to look at them with a stern face and say, Thus saith the parent, stop it. But as they grow older, transition into trusting authority more than this overwatching authority. 
Always maintain an authoritative position with them. Never lose that. Even in areas of ministry. You can't afford to be their best buddy, but you can't afford to be their friend. Jesus was a friend to sinners, yes? You can't afford to be somebody's friend. But at the same time, if these, if these, if these harebrained guys up here, who I love, are all at the campground one day, deciding to set things on fire, you know, they got bored, and instead of kicking bottles, they decided to go light some flames. These guys spent ten minutes kicking a bottle or something yesterday, is what I understand. Whatever floats their boat, you know, I don't know. But anyway, um, but if these guys are out there burning something, and I walk up and see it, I can't be like their best friend and be like, you guys, that's awesome, man. <laughs> Somebody has to be the adult in the room and say, you guys stop this. Enough of that. Stop lighting things on fire. And if you do it again, don't do it again. You have, to, you have to maintain your authoritative position. If you become too buddy-buddy with them, they won't respect you anymore. But you can be a friend to them, and they can see that you love them. That, that's a good thing. And some authorities are just so, you know, look, the military is the military. We're not a military. Always maintain an authority, authoritative position. Be the parent, be the teacher, be the choir director, be the... The, the bus worker be whatever. Maintain that authoritative position. But as they mature in age and in action, treat them with a level of respect and maturity appropriate to their age and actions. In other words, don't treat a 17-year-old who has grown in maturity and they have demonstrated to you that, you know, hey, um, they've, got, they've got some responsible chops and they do make good decisions. Don't keep treating them like you did when they were five. You'll lose their heart. You know, I want to say this very carefully, but uh, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I am still my children's parent, but at some point, as I've seen demonstrated in them desires to follow after the Lord and desires to love the Lord and desires to do what is right, I've treated them differently than, than, than I did when they were little, little kids. I've shown them a lot more, and, and take this word correctly, I've shown them a lot more respect. not saying, you know, like disrespecting your kids like you disrespect your parents. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying at some point they need to see that mom and dad trust them or that the youth pastor trusts them or that the Sunday school teacher trusts them or whatever the case may be. If they've taken actions to earn trust, show them some trust. Are you with me? As they mature, treat them with a level of respect and maturity appropriate to their age and actions. How to gain their heart. Teach them. Teach them things. You want to gain the heart of somebody? Teach them something that they're searching for. In a kind and compassionate way. But be a good teacher. God, and young people, listen to me. Those that God has put in your lives, and I'm going to get to you here in just a second, but those that God has put in your lives, learn from them. Because they have years and years and years of experience that you cannot understand. You know, um, we tease Brother Lewis sometimes because he teases us. I just love Brother Lewis. He's so much fun. Last night, Brother Lewis, I'm going to leave this conversation between you and I. You know what you said. I know what you said. But just for sake of the illustration, I'm going to give bits and pieces. 
Um, last Sunday night, he called me. And I think it was last Sunday night. Yeah. And shared a few things with me. And I got off the phone and I said, you know, as much as Brother Lewis teases, if you listen to him, there's some years of wisdom there. And he has some good insight. And I said, I got a phone, I told my wife and my kids, I said, you know, Brother Lewis just told me some things that um, you have to have insight to be able to express. Sometimes, young people, you, if you're not careful, you, you miss an entire generation worth of knowledge that would help you avoid a lot of mistakes if you would just listen to the older people. They can teach you a lot of things. And when, when we go through different stages of life, we think we've got it all figured out. I still regret one of the dumbest, one of the dumbest things I ever did, and God should have struck me for it. He should have. But I can't remember if I was 16, 17, 18. I was starting to feel my oats a little bit, and I really thought I had life figured out as a teenager. And some of the things my dad was telling me were annoying me and frustrating me. And I don't, I don't remember what the, what the reason was, like what kind of conversation we, ha we were having. I don't know why I said this. I can't even believe I said it. I can't even believe I'm going to tell you I said it. But I had been thinking about this, and I was just getting to the point, and I thought, man, I've just got things all figured out, you know, and, and my dad doesn't even know half of what I know. Starting, starting to get stupid, you know. Smart enough to be dumb. And my, my, dad, my dad said something. We were at church. And I remember Brother Ron Mom was there too. Brother Ron Mom went on. Uh, he stuck through those hard years uh, with, with my parents at the church there. And then, as I spoke about this morning a little bit, and then and at other times. And, uh, and anyway, uh, took a pastor. It became a pastor. Anyway, God has used him. And so Brother, Brother Ron Mom is, is standing there. And I don't remember what the discussion was, but I had been thinking about this phrase forever because I was convinced of it, and I couldn't wait for the right moment to use it. And I said to my dad, you know, really the only difference between you and me at this stage of my life is that my cranium isn't entirely fused together. I thought that sounded really smart. And you know, he really should have lit me up. I would have deserved it. God should have hit me with lightning. It should have been over for me the way I was acting. And you know, he just looked at me and said, I don't even think I understand what you just said. <laughs> and I look back on that and I think how stupid. So stupid. And I thought I sounded so smart. So dumb. Listen, young people, there is years and years and years of wisdom and knowledge and experience. Be teachable. Can I say this in order to get their heart? Discipline them. What? Discipline in order to get their heart? But I thought in order to get their heart, I had to not ever discipline. No, 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 no. Because the rod of correction drives foolishness out of the heart. Right? And when, when, when foolishness gets buried into that heart, you know how many times my parents spanked me and I still remember as a kid when my... My will was finally broken and I realized that I had disobeyed or done whatever it was I was in trouble for. But after 
discipline was done right. I wanted to be in the love of my parents so bad again. Is everybody okay? We think for some reason that discipline will lose our children's heart. Not if it's done right. Now, if it's done out of anger and spite and with a temper, yeah, you might. You might. But if it's done right with love, care and compassion, I don't have time to get into proper discipline tonight, but you can gain their heart because it drives foolishness out of their heart and when the foolishness is driven out, they can give their heart back to you. Discipline. How to get their heart. Listen. i got to hurry. Invest. How to get their heart. Give your own heart to them. Can I say this? Avoid too much negativity. Don't be down on them all the time. Don't, don't be hurting them all the time. Don't be saying snarky things to them all the time. You'll lose their heart. Avoid too much negativity. Next, prove to them that they matter. Next, give special attention at times when it is needed. But, treat everybody the same and love them all the same. When we show favoritism, we lose the heart of others while we're trying to gain the heart of one. Are you with me? You cannot afford to show favoritism. And... and Okay, we can't afford to show favoritism. You know, I want all of your hearts. I can't afford to show favoritism. Can't afford to do that. Because if I show it towards one of you, then somebody else is going to think, well, I'm not in the in crowd. He doesn't care for me. I don't want there to be in crowds and out crowds. I want to try to have everybody's heart if I can. So don't get offended if I'm not in your crowd because I'm trying not to be in anybody's crowd, because I want to be in everybody's crowd. Amen. Favoritism will, will lose the heart of some while you're gaining the heart of others. It doesn't help things. So, give special attention at times when needed, and there are times when certain people need special attention, but make sure everybody knows that they can get the same special attention when they need it. Hello? Hello? I want Brother Caleb to know that if he ever needs special attention, he's got it. I want Brother Austin to know if he ever needs it, he's got it. I want Brother Dan to know if he ever needs it, he's got it. I want Miss Venetia to know if she ever needs it, she's got it. I want everybody in this room to know if they ever need their pastor, they've got it. You don't have to worry about calling me. And if I'm in a situation, I'll, if you need me, I'll drop everything to come be with you. And that everybody has the exact same care and affection and I'll come to your house and 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 we'll all spend time together and Amen. it'll be great. Amen. Give special attention when it's needed, but not to the extent of favoritism. Make sure everybody feels like they are your favorite at times. I'm almost done about with things about how to get their heart. Show them that you trust them. I mentioned that a little bit ago. Forgive them. You want somebody's heart? Make sure they know that they will be forgiven if they come to you. Next, make sacrifices for them. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. Find ways. Pray for God to give you wisdom about how to get the heart of those around you. Find it in the Scriptures. Find it from those that have gotten your heart and apply it to the best of your ability. Now, we can work to get the heart, but I have to close with this. We can work to get the heart 
as I believe that Elisha did with Gehazi. But the heart still has to be given. We can't take it against your will. Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Hello? Keep it, guard it, protect it. For out of it are the issues of life. And if we're not careful and we give our heart to the wrong people and the wrong things, and some of you young people are giving your heart for some dumb reason to Hollywood and to Instagram influencers and to boyfriends and girlfriends and so on and so forth that you're being influenced by the wrong people and it will not matter whether or not you grow up in church and hear all of the rules and know how to live right. If you don't give your heart to the right people, you'll be a lost cause just like Gehazi was. You know, I thought I was going to preach this like when I got to this point, like it was going to come out, hellfire and brimstone jumping off the pews. And it's just not, and I don't know why. Our hearts should be guarded at all times and kept safe for the right people in our life. Guard your heart. Adults, guard it. Just because you're in adulthood doesn't mean that you ought to just take all the barriers off of it and give it to anything and everything. The world is trying so hard to pull at the heartstrings of mankind and attach them to the wrong things. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, you ought to keep your heart with all diligence because it will change your life one way or the other. It will affect your life one way or the other. Because out of your heart come all of the issues of life. Guard it. Keep it. The first person you ought to give your heart to is God Himself. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. And I don't care what the harebrained world has to say about God's crazy rules and God's stupid book and that it doesn't make sense anymore and that it was for an ancient time and not for today. You listen to me. If you give your heart to the world and you don't give it to God, you're going to end up with the attachment of sin on your life like a leprosy that will never go away. Give God your heart. Do you understand how much He loves you? Do you understand that He's trying to keep you from the leprosy of sin? You may not understand why He drew the line where He did, Gehazi, but there's a reason for it. And if you're going to get all of this, you've got to give God your heart. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. Keep it and only give it to certain people. Give it to God first and foremost. Is everybody okay? Next, give it to your parents. Keep it and guard it from everybody else, but give it to your parents. Now, man, I know today that there are some homes that are so broken that when you say that, there are all kinds of questions. Well, you don't know my parents. You're right. I pro- in some cases, I don't. And I, 
I, I, I don't know what it's like to grow up in a setting where you want your parents to take your heart, but they've abused it so bad. Well, listen. Find a way to love them, and as I mentioned this morning, have pity on them. But keep it guarded from some of the hard things that they've tried to do to you. And give it to others that can help you. But man, if you're growing up in a good home where they're not abusing you, please hear me. Give your heart to your parents. There is nobody who loves you the way that your parents love you. There is nobody who wants what's best for you like your parents do. And why in the world would you think they're against you? Because they set some rule. They did it to protect you. Give them your heart. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 26, the Bible says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Some of you, listen to me, you are taking for granted a gift that some precious people in this room didn't grow up with. I've got good people in this room that could grab that microphone and say, if you've got good parents, don't take it for granted. Because I grew up abused and messed up and had to find my own way in life. And some of you, if you're not careful, will just take for granted what God has given you and spit in the face of all the things that your parents have taught you and tried to help you with. And for some reason, you got this idea that they were against you and nothing could be farther from the truth. That's the devil trying to convince you that somebody who loves you more than anybody in this life possibly could doesn't love you so that he can get your heart. Give your heart to your parents. Because we can try, 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 try to get it. But if you don't give it to, then it won't matter. Amen. I have watched good young people kick against the pricks of a good home because they wanted to sow their wild oats and years later have nothing but regret. Keep your heart with all diligence and only give it out to certain people. Give it to God. Give it to your parents. Listen, and I say this very cautiously, but give it to spiritual leaders that have proven themselves. Now you have to be careful about giving your heart to any and every preacher that comes along just because he's flashy and fancy and says something that sounds good. You have to be careful about that. Because unfortunately there have been a lot of good orators and a lot of good flash in the pans that didn't pan out. A lot of them do. Unfortunately, the majority of them do. 
but we don't hear about them. We usually just hear about the ones who have fallen. But unfortunately, because of the number of spiritual leaders who have fallen, people have gotten to the point where they won't give their heart to spiritual leaders at all. And I understand it. I want to say that it should be done with caution, but it shouldn't be avoided. I want to say this. The, the, the preacher or spiritual leader, the Sunday school teacher, the youth pastor, whatever, they should not have the same amount of your heart as your parents or as God. But you need to catch some of theirs and be willing to give them some of yours. This was the problem with Elisha and Gehazi. Is everybody okay? He should have given him some of his heart and he didn't. Paul clearly had the heart of Timothy. Moses had the heart of Joshua. Samuel and Nathan got the heart of David. Is everybody okay? It is okay to give your heart to your spiritual leaders, especially the ones that have proven themselves. Because it's the only way for you to truly get it. If you keep those barriers and walls up at all times, the influence of the people that God has put into your life will be greatly hindered. Are you listening to me? And there are good people here this evening. Please listen to me. I'm trying to finish. I won't be much longer. But there are good people in the room this evening that, that I am sure, because of the way things have gone in the independent Baptist churches over the years, that there are good people in this room that gave your heart to some spiritual leader along the way, and then it was um, broken. And you put up a wall. <laughs> Never again. What will happen is you will miss good people that God wants to use to help you. Good people in this church. Good preachers behind the pulpit. Good Sunday school teachers. Good junior church workers who won't hurt you. Won't betray your trust. They just want to help. But not doing it again. That hurt too much. Not doing it again. And you'll miss it. You'll miss it. There are men that I loved who fell out of the will of God and some greatly in horrible ways. But there are a lot more who stayed by the stuff And they deserve to still have my heart so they can influence me and I need their influence. My heart breaks because I'm thinking of one who broke me when he fell into sin. But there are so many others 
who have done right. And you know what? Can I just say this? I, man, I'm on a little bit of a rabbit trail here on this one. I've got to be done. I'm almost done. But just because they messed up somewhere along the way doesn't mean God wasn't using them at some point. And the things that they taught you and those influences they had in your life before that time came, those were real. Don't just throw them out because of a mistake. Lastly, keep your heart with all diligence and only give it to certain people. Give it to God. Give it to your parents. Give it to some spiritual leaders who have proven themselves. Give it to your spouse and keep it for your spouse. For this man shall he, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. If you're going to cleave to each other, you have to give each other your heart. And, and listen, the, the things that have happened in the past with previous relationships, don't let that hinder you from giving your heart to one another now. Or things that have happened in the past in your relationship, get right about them. Work on giving your heart back to each other. It's the way God would have it. But young people, keep your heart for your spouse. Don't just give it to every girl and boy that comes along and says you're attractive. Keep it for the one that God has for you. That's a, that's a, that's a whole message in itself that I may preach in the future. But And you've heard it before. I know you have, but every generation needs to hear it. Amen. Keep thy heart but give it to certain people because it will likely mean the difference between success and failure in the Christian life. Getting and giving the heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please do the work this evening that only you can do.